As you're being seated, if you'll go ahead and find your Bible, open it up. You may turn it on. We're working through the Gospel of Luke, and right now we're in Luke chapter 21, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 28 today. You may have discovered uh, that sometimes drivers on the road can be a little bit annoying. Anybody else discovered that, or am I all by myself on this? Yeah, Paul, Paul testifies back there, yeah. So one of the most annoying things that can happen is when somebody stops short. I was following a car over the railroad tracks the other day. There was plenty of room for both of us, and it stopped short. So I was stuck on the railroad track, and then I was just praying that the train didn't come before the light turned green. You say, well, how did it work out? Well, I'm here, okay? So I live. It it was okay. But I think one of the greatest causes of spiritual anxiety is that people stop short. Specifically, you stop short in your understanding of the gospel. So we take a passage like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And and we, we understand, okay, motivated by love, God sends his son. And his son lives a life that none of us could live. And then his son dies on the cross for our sins, overcomes the grave so that everyone who believes shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. But often whenever we talk about the gospel, we end our explanation of the gospel or our thoughts of the gospel at the cross or sometimes at the end of at the empty tomb. And many times we stop short and we don't talk about the everlasting life part because The hope of everlasting life is a huge part of the gospel. Life in this world ultimately stops short. There is so much about this world that makes you feel as if you're sitting on the railroad track. And yes, we as believers, we should be actively working to make our world a better place. But Christian hope, understand this now, Christian hope. Hope is found in a better world, the heavenly world that we often call everlasting life. So here's what I've found over the years. It is vitally important for your continued growth in the faith that you begin to understand everlasting life, that you begin to truly grasp and adorn yourself in the reality that what we have in the here and now is not the end of the story. That what you have is temporary, and one day Christ will return and make all things new. So we come today to a passage of Scripture that talks about this. Now, to be frank, uh, in a lot of situations, pastors no longer talk about the second coming of Christ because we're afraid that if we talk about the second coming of Christ that you're going to Uh, think of us as those guys with rainbow hair and big signs that are at the golf tournaments and things like that. But the second coming of Christ is instrumental to the gospel story, and it's in the, the scriptures over and over again. And I tell folks, if you can believe in Christmas, you can believe in the second coming. If you believe that Jesus came, then why can't you also believe that he's coming again? And so in Luke chapter 21, we have what is called the Olivet Discourse. Now, it's a complicated passage of Scripture. If you just read it, 
you'll probably scratch your head about, scratch your head a bit and say, that was kind of confusing. Now, it's a passage of Scripture that we could talk about for weeks and weeks and weeks. I'm going to attempt to walk through this passage that could take weeks in 30 minutes, okay? So, you're going to need to engage, you're going to need to think with me today. We're going to look at a pretty good chunk of Scripture beginning in verse 5. As some were talking about the temple complex, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, These things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, so when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now, the temple, located in Jerusalem, was one of the greatest buildings of the ancient world. In fact, it serves as a model that the place where we go to worship God should be well cared for. And the Hebrew people took great care to make sure that they invested both their time, their money, their skill into making it a beautiful building. And so the disciples are sitting there looking at all the beauty of the temple. And in Hebrew thought, they felt like the temple was literally the center of the world. It was the engine that drove the world. And Jesus makes a startling claim. He says to his disciples, everything that you see here, it's all temporary. Now this is for them the pinnacle. And so Jesus is saying, the best thing this world has to offer is going away. And so the disciples respond, well, Lord, when? Okay, we want to know when this is happening, and we also want to know what the signs are going to be that this is happening. Over in Matthew chapter 24, which is a parallel passage, the disciples ask another question. They also ask, what is the sign of you coming And what will be the sign of the end of the world as we know it? The end of the age. Now you got that song stuck in your head, right? There you go. It's the end. Anyway, let's uh, let's continue in verse 8. The band's going to lead us now in that song, right? No, no. Okay. Verse 8. So then he said, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, These things must take place first, but the end won't come right away. So he's now talking to his disciples about the destruction of the temple, and he says, there's going to be some people that come onto the scene that are going to use my name. They're going to say things that they're doing, and they're doing it in Jesus' name, or they're going to portray themselves as the Messiah, and they're going to tell you, okay, now's the kingdom and you need to follow me, and they're going to lead wars and rebellions. In other words, people are going to try to use Jesus to fight Rome. People are going to try to use Jesus and reduce him to such a degree that he is just a here and now Messiah. But Jesus' message was about hope that even transcends the here and now. He talked about a kingdom, but he often talked about a kingdom that is not of this world. He talked about a kingdom that takes root in the heart and then overflows into the world around us. But he says, people are going to come in my name and they're going to try to incite you to lead wars and rebellions against Rome. 
in order to try to solve temporary problems and establish earthly kingdoms. And Jesus wants his disciples to know this. It's not going to work. In fact, in AD 70, the prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled. There, there was a Roman general by the name of Titus. And Titus marched his army on Jerusalem. He besieged Jerusalem. He ultimately came in, decimated the temple. All the stones were thrown down. Jerusalem was scattered. It was a terrible, terrible event. And as, often, as awful as this is, Jesus says, well, wait, though, there's more. <laughs> there's more. Because before I come back, there's going to be some signs of the times. So in verse 10, Jesus now fast forwards to signs of his coming, to signs of the second coming. And so he tells his disciples, nation will be raised up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places. And there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. It will lead to an opportunity for you to witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time, for I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but not a hair of your head will be lost by your endurance. Gain your lives. Now, the second coming of Jesus is all about Jesus making all things new. And here he gives us the signs of his coming. And the great sign of Christ coming again is a world that is so enslaved by sin that it is screaming for freedom. In fact, if you read Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul describes this world and he says it's, it's like a woman in labor. Now, some of you ladies can relate, okay? A woman in labor, let me add the nuance, without an epidural, okay? So the woman's in labor without an epidural, and she's groaning, just get this baby out of me, okay? And so, so Paul describes the world uh, trapped by sin, this world that has darkness and injustice, and, and it is longing for God to return in order to free his creation so that we can experience the goodness that he desired for us. And so Jesus says, the signs of the time, you're going to have nations that are fighting nations. There's going to be natural disasters, death everywhere. You'll find Christians that are persecuted for their faith. You'll find families that are fighting against one another and even uh, betraying each other, uh, martyrdom, people dying for their faith, people being hated for their Christianity evil on all sides, and Jesus tells his followers, stand firm. Don't run, don't lose hope, don't retreat, but stand firm, because not a hair of your head will be lost. You say, well, now how? How can that be? Well, you have to have an understanding of hope that goes beyond the battle right in front of you. You have to have an understanding of hope that is linked to everlasting life because in Christ, ultimately, nothing 
can kill you. Do you realize this? Jesus Christ lived, died on the cross, a hideous, torturous death. He was placed in the tomb, and then what happened? He rose again. And those of us who believe in Christ are in Christ. Yes, physically speaking, we will taste death. But spiritually speaking, we live forever. And God even blesses us with an eternal body. And so ultimately, not a hair on your head can be lost. Nothing can kill you. In Christ, you have eternal life. And Jesus says what that means is, even in the midst of battles and persecution and people saying lies about you, you don't have to run, you don't have to retreat, you don't have to be scared, you can stand firm because you have hope that lasts forever. Well, in verse 20, Jesus brings the focus back to his disciples, and he tells his disciples, okay, everything that you know about the temple, it's going to go away. But it's not just going to affect the temple, it's also going to affect the holy city of Jerusalem. But all of this is part of God's plan because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is supposed to go global. So look with me in the passage. If someone's sleeping next to you, elbow them and tell them to wake up and engage. Okay, verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that its desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those inside the city must leave it, and those who are in the country must not enter it, because these are days of vengeance to fulfill all things that are written. Woe to the pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are Fulfilled. Now, if you read your Bible and you go all the way back to Genesis, God calls a man by the name of Abram. Later, Abram's name is changed to Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. You remember that song? Many sons had Father Abraham. Okay, we don't have to keep going. Okay. Y'all are getting into it. You're like, yeah, I like this. Okay, um, so Abraham is called And part of the covenant that God made with Abraham is that out of his line, he would establish a great nation. And you find that from Abraham, we call him Father Abraham because God used him to establish the nation of Israel. And so as you read through the Old Testament, you find God working through Israel. You find the Bible written by Jewish people. You find Jesus born in Bethlehem. You find Jesus born to Jewish parents. And you, so you see God working through Israel. But Jesus is telling his disciples, the holy city, Jerusalem, is also going to be destroyed. And Jesus made a continual point that you got to grasp, okay? He made this point particularly after he rose from the dead. What's the point? The gospel was supposed to be for all people. The gospel was supposed to go out. It was not to be contained to one building, the temple. It was not contained to one city, Jerusalem. It was not to be contained to one country, Israel, one people group. 
But the gospel is to be for all people because who Jesus is and what he has done for us is good news for everybody. And so Jesus was saying, what is going to happen here at the temple and what is going to happen in Jerusalem, this is all part of God's plan to take his story, the story of the gospel, to the Gentile people so that all people might hear of the message of God. And so we find ourselves in what the Bible sometimes describes as the times of the Gentiles. Now, I'm thankful for this. You know why? Because I'm a Gentile, okay? So the gospel went beyond Jerusalem, crossed the oceans, came to the United States of America, and landed in my heart, a Gentile heart, because what Jesus did was not supposed to be contained merely to the temple or merely to Jerusalem. As bad as what happened when Titus marched his army into Jerusalem, God was using as part of his story. But every day... I read the stories of this world. Whether you look at Fox News or CNN, if you read the stories of this world, you see that the world in which we live is broken. And it seems like the older that I get, the more that I want God to fix it. I remember whenever I was young and the preacher would preach on the second coming, I was like, that's good, but God, can you wait a while? Okay, Because I was like, you know, I, I want to grow up, I want to get married, do some things like that. And now I'm like, God, you can come today. I'm, I'm good, okay? As long as my kids come with me, I'm okay. But in verse 25, Jesus starts getting into that moment when Christ returns. And he says, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And there will be anguish on the earth among nations, bewildered by roaring seas and waves, and people will faint from fear and expectation of things that are coming on the world, because the celestial powers will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is near. So Jesus says, there's going to be tribulations, there's going to be trials, but understand, if you are a believer, all of this is temporary, that God is going to deliver you. And one day, the sun and the moon and the stars and the celestial powers will be shaken. It's like one of those end-of-the-world movies, okay? One day, it'll be real. One day, the sun, moon, stars, celestial powers will be shaken, and people will faint in fear, saying, What's happening? We're about to lose everything, and it will seem like all hope has been lost but then coming in the clouds will be Jesus. Now remember, if you can believe in Christmas, you can believe in the second coming. If you can believe in Genesis 1-1, the rest of the Bible is easy. If you believe that there is a God and that God created all things, then everything else is easy. At Bethlehem, Jesus came as a baby. He was laid in a manger. He was in poverty. And he was dependent upon his mother. But Jesus says here, when I come again, I'm going to come in power and in glory. And everyone's going to notice me. 
Everyone's going to know me, and every tongue will ultimately, in the end, proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and King of kings. This, my friends, is what Jesus, it's in red, this is what Jesus said about the end of the world as we know it. Now, I realize that some of your heads might be spinning just a little bit. So, let's talk about five things that Jesus told us to do in the meantime. Number one, in verse 8, he told us to watch out and do not be deceived. Jesus told us that there will be a lot of people that come onto the scene that use his name to try to deceive you or trick you. And if you look at major cults or many major world religions that are out there, there has been a skewing of Christ's message. It is so vital that Christians hang on to what Jesus taught. It's vital that you read the Bible and know what Jesus taught because there's a lot of people that are going to say a lot of things in Jesus' name. And one of the greatest signs of our time is the temptation to act like the world is all that we have and to reduce Christianity down to something that is just about today and tomorrow. Now, I think that preaching, I think Christianity should be practical. I think we have to deal with things that we all deal with in real life, but realize that the story of Christianity has to be attached to the reality of everlasting life. And until you're really able to grasp that and understand that my faith is not just a self-help talk, but my faith is anchored in something that never goes away, and when I adorn myself in that reality, it helps me live with the challenges of today and have hope. Not only hope, but have purpose. Not only purpose, but joy. Because you know what the end looks like. See, I think that Christian people ought to be joyful people. I think Christian people ought to smile and laugh. I think that Christian people shouldn't be grumpy all the time and tearing down people all the time. That Christian people ought to have an incredible optimism and spirit about them. Why? Because we have a hope that goes beyond anything the world can throw at us. So Jesus says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And I would encourage you also, even as we try to be relevant and practical and deal with day-to-day matters, realize that the story of Christianity is more than self-help with the twist of Jesus. The story of Christianity anchors you to the sacred and to the eternal. Number two, verse 9. Jesus says, don't be alarmed. These things must take place. There's going to be wars, there's going to be rebellions, there's going to be natural disasters, there's going to be layoffs, there's going to be sickness, there's going to be death, there's going to be challenges. Sinful people are going to do horrible things. Don't let this alarm you. Don't let this push cause you to push away from your faith. God is still on His throne, and at His appointed time, He is going to do something about it. Number three, make up your mind to be a witness. Now, if you're like me, if we have an all-powerful God and he plans to do something about it, why doesn't he just go ahead and get started? Why doesn't he just do something now? He is. What God is doing right now is he's bringing salvation near to all people. 
God is not just changing your physical circumstances. God is changing our hearts. God is changing us from the inside out, and He is bringing people to Himself so that we might come alive spiritually. But there's more. As a believer, God calls you to proclaim the good news to all nations. Because the gospel's not meant to be contained to a building or to one people group, but we are called to proclaim the message of Christ to every girl, boy, woman, and man. And I believe this. I believe that in our lifetime, it is possible for Christian people to come together and proclaim the message of Christ in such a way that every girl, boy, woman, and man hears the message of Jesus Christ. That we are called to be witnesses. Mission activity is not an addendum to church life. Mission activity is not just like an add-on. Mission activity is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus called his disciples to go and make disciples. And what was the, what was the scope supposed to be of all? nations. In the book of Acts, Jesus said, you're supposed to be my witnesses. And how far were we supposed to go with our witness? To the ends of the earth. That's right. So the scope is that every person might hear the message of Christ. You say, but not all are going to believe. I understand that. Christ didn't call us to save anybody. Only he can save people, but he did call us to be his witnesses that proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone. And what's amazing, if you've never had this experience to see somebody come alive in Christ. It is the most incredible experience to be there when you share the message of Christ and someone responds and they come alive in Christ. In verse 19, he gives us a fourth thing to do, and that is to endure the troubles and gain life. Jesus didn't say that when you bow the knee and you get saved, that it's just going to be a they all lived happily ever after story. Life here on earth is going to be hard. There's going to be times when you feel like quitting. There's going to be times when you don't understand. And Jesus says, don't quit. Keep going. Don't lose hope. And remember, on the other side of things, you will gain life. And then the fifth thing in verse 28, Jesus says, stand and lift up your head because your redemption is near. He paints a contrast that when Christ comes again, some will be cowering in fear, some will be uh, anxious, but that God's children, when we think about His coming, we should stand and rejoice and look forward to it because redemption is near. The Creator of Genesis has become the Savior of Calvary, and when He comes again, He is the King of all. So one of the greatest causes of spiritual anxiety is that people stop short. And whenever you stop short in your understanding of the gospel, you're like, well, God, I need you to fix this today. And Jesus says, you're going to continue to go through some difficulties today. But understand that my story is not just about today, but my story is about eternity. And it's vitally important for you If you desire to continue growing in your faith, that you begin to understand that everything that we have here is ultimately temporary. And that one day Christ will come again and make all things new. 
And yes, we live in a world that has darkness, it has injustice, it is tainted by sin in every way. But one day, Christ will return. And He will return in His glory and His power and make all things new. So I want to close with Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul asks a question. He says, Who can separate us from the love of God? Who can separate you from the love of God? Now, if God's love was something that you earned through good behavior, then guess what? Your bad behavior could separate you from the love of God. If God merely loves us for our loveliness, then when we are unlovely, we would be separated from the love of God. But that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that the love of God is extended to you through the grace of God. Specifically, God extends His grace to you through Jesus Christ. And because Christ has done for you what you could never do for your own, on your own, because Christ has lived a life that you could not, because Christ conquered the death that you could not, in Christ, we belong to God for all eternity. So what can separate you, church, from the love of God? Well, Paul then goes through a list that is eerily similar to the signs of the times. He says, can affliction or anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? He says, no, an imperative, no, absolutely not. In all these things, we are more than victorious through Him who loved us. Through Christ's love, even the best, the worst that this world can throw at us, it cannot separate us from God. And then he says, for I am persuaded, as he's looked at all this, all the way down to the depths of his being, he is persuaded. And I have to ask you this question, are you persuaded? Do you really understand this? Has it really taken root beyond just your mind, but in your heart and out into your worldview? Are you persuaded that not even death or life, angels, rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing has the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? This is the blessed hope. This is, this is what we adorn ourselves in. This is how we go through life. This is what causes the Christian to have the unique perspective, the joy, the laughter, the smile. This is what allows the Christian to truly live out the fruit of the Spirit because we have a hope that is inherent into the gospel story that in Christ nothing can separate us from the love of Christ and we belong to Him not just for a day, not just as long as we're good, but whenever we are in Christ, we belong to Him for all eternity and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ because we are His. We're His forever. That, my friends, is our hope. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads, please, as the band is about to come and they're going to lead us uh, in worship. I'll be here at the front if I, if I can be a pastor to you today, it is my deep, deep honor to be so. If I can pray with you about anything, if today is a day where you have questions about what it means to 
be a Christian, I, I would love to talk to you about these things. Heavenly Father, we, we look at these verses which dive into some deep things and talk about some things that, that sometimes stretch us, but we also come away realizing that in Christ we have a hope that goes beyond merely a wonderful world here, but we have a hope that lasts forever, and we have a love that never goes away. And so we think about the worship that will take place around your throne, and we realize that around your throne there will be people singing your praises and worshiping with us forever, people that have different skin tones, people that speak different languages, people that perhaps come from the Punjab province in India that were touched by the ministries of Solid Rock. We think about standing around that throne room and there will be people that we love that have already stepped into glory. Mothers and fathers, children, sisters and brothers, friends and neighbors, cousins, people that we love that we will be reunited with and we will stand with them around the throne of heaven and we will proclaim your goodness because we have a hope that never fades, that nothing can take away. And we have a love that has been extended to us from you through your grace from which we can never be separated. So God, I pray that you will help us to to go above the line of the temporary and to see the eternal today and to realize that whenever we see the eternal and, and embrace it and it comes alive in our heart, that we see the world differently. I pray, Father, for that person that is trapped in the tentacles of negativity, anger, frustration, that they will have a renewed heart and a renewed spirit. I pray, Father, for that person that is lonely, that they might experience love. We pray, Father, for the ill, that they will experience physical healing. And yet we also know that no matter how rough it gets here, we're with you forever. And we thank you for that, that you loved us so much that we have everlasting life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we worship.